Hi, I'm Mitchell, and you're listening to a Public Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thanks for listening. And I just want to echo what Nolan said, like, get up at any point in this and go out and walk. If you start walking, we got somebody from our prayer team who will follow you out there because that is the invitation to follow Jesus and surrender to him. And building off what Nolan said, I'm just going to launch from Colossians 2.11 where Paul writes this. He says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Here's what he's saying. He said, in the Old Testament, circumcision was an outward sign, but now we have an inward working of the Spirit of God. Last week, we discovered that when we surrender to Jesus, like Nolan just invited us to do, Jesus moves in. So the work is going on internally. So what is that outward sign? Verse 12, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So just to linger here for a minute more and say that's the invitation, to let Jesus change us from the inside out and then to take the step of baptism. And so maybe a long time ago you surrendered to Jesus, but you've never taken that step of baptism. Look, when this was written, baptism was the mode of entry into the Jesus movement, and it still is today. Baptism is a way for you to say, Jesus has done something on the inside, but I wanna display that publicly for all to see because I want everybody to know that I am a part of the Jesus movement. Not because of anything I've done, but because Jesus cut away my sinful nature. He's changed me because of what he did when he died and rose again. So if that's you, if if you need to follow Jesus, as Nolan said, to repent from your way of life, to turn and walk in the Jesus way, if you need to get baptized, please do not leave here today without having that conversation from us. Because this series, Colossians, we talk about a blueprint. Colossians is actually not the blueprint, Jesus is. Jesus is our blueprint for living. So we can't build anything unless we lay our foundation in Jesus. Unless the foundation is the gospel, not anything we've done, everything Jesus has done, we cannot go forward. And if you're here and you follow Jesus and you're like, okay, let's get on to like the stuff that I need. No, no, we never get past the gospel. We never get over what Jesus has done. We never move past it. It is the foundation and there are endless implications and applications for how Jesus crucified and resurrected impacts our everyday lives. And Paul's gonna talk about some of those with us here today. But before we continue the series, I just wanna take a moment and just acknowledge that Father's Day can be hard for some of us. Whether you're in the room, whether you're watching online, this is a day that can be difficult for a, a myriad of reasons. Maybe your dad is not here. Maybe your dad never was there. And so if we're going to follow the way of Jesus, if he's going to be our blueprint, he sat in people's pain, he empathized. So the church, we're going to take a moment and just pray for you. And I would love for you to join me in that. Let's pray for those who've been dreading today, who just want to get past it, who this day is really hard for. And at the same time, what we're going to do is we want to honor the men in our lives. Maybe those men, they don't carry the title of, of dad or father, 
But here's what all kinds of research shows us. There is immense impact in having a man in our lives who is strong, who is devoted, who is dependable. And men, just to make sure we're on the same page, here's how we define strong. A man who is willing to say, I'm sorry. A man who is willing to own his mistakes. Because come on, men, we make lots of mistakes, don't we? Can we just confess that together, a little collective confession? We're going to make mistakes today, and tomorrow they're going to keep coming. But what real men do is we own that. We say, that was fully on me. I'm sorry. And we move forward. And there's power in having a man like that in our lives. So maybe we don't have a father, but maybe there's somebody that doesn't have that title, but today's the day you could just send them a text, write them a note. And say, you may not have the title, but man, Jesus is using you in my life. So let's sit in people's pain and let's thank Jesus for the men that he has placed in our lives. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you give us in your word this idea that we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and that's simply what we want to do. Show us how we as individuals, as a church, can, can sit with people on a day that is extremely difficult. And I pray that you would also just help us to see with gratitude that there are people you've put in our lives. And maybe even through a community group or a step we've recently taken, you're putting someone into our lives. And so thank you for providing for us. Thank you, Jesus, for not, not rushing us, not telling us to get over grief, for being there with us. And thank you, Jesus, for putting people in our lives just when we need them. Thank you for the men that you've surrounded us with. We are better because of them. And so we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So as we continue this series, we're gonna launch from Colossians 2, 6, and 7, if you have your Bible or Bible app and wanna go there. And we're launching from here because really, this is Paul's summary statement up to this point. He's built up to it, and then he's gonna build onto it after this. And if this is your first time here, or maybe you just haven't started the journey through Colossians with us, the challenge is that we would all read through Colossians together. As Nolan said, our team has a Colossians Bible study. All you have to do is download the public church app. And look, if you haven't began yet, don't feel this pressure to, oh, I got to jump in in week three. We're going to be in Colossians in our gatherings longer than we are in the study. So just start with week one and just join on with us. If you started the train and got off, hop back on so that we can read through this together because this book, it continually points us back to Jesus. So Colossians 2, 6, and 7, it's going to be on the screen. And since this verse is so pivotal, I'd love for us to read these two verses together. Colossians 2, 6, and 7, ready, go. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots go down into him and your lives be built on him. Then your faith will go strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So Jesus is the blueprint. And Paul's saying the goal is that we move forward in Jesus. If you were here last week, I rode a bike, no bikes today. But the point is that we get on the bike and then we move forward towards Jesus. Our roots go down deep into Jesus. Our lives are built on Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus and you're trying to figure out what the main idea is, his name is Jesus. That's the main idea of this church, and that is the main idea of this letter that Paul wrote to Colossians, whose words echo down through the centuries with immense relevance to us today. So how do we make sure our lives are built on Jesus, that we, we accepted him, but that we continue to follow him? Well, what Paul's going to do in chapter 2 is he's going to talk about our thought life, because our thought life matters. Craig Rochelle wrote, 
what I would consider a phenomenal book. It's been very beneficial to me, and it's called Winning the War in Your Mind. Our team is actually reading through this as well. And he opens the book by saying that our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts, that the way we think ultimately shapes who we become. And throughout the book, he uses both the Bible and science to back that up, and that is so true. That became very real to me, the first activity in this book, because each chapter ends with activities, is to do a thought audit. It's basically just to write down all your thoughts. And when I wrote down my thoughts, I was like, I do not like the direction my life is going according to my thoughts. So it was like a wake-up moment, like repent, I have to change. And this book was helpful in that. And so what we wanna do today is at a very high level, think about what we think about. Now, I am not a counselor. Our church is full of counselors. We can refer you to one of those. We'd love to get you connected to a counselor. I go to counseling. We wholly believe in that. But today is not a counseling session. Today is a high-level dive into Colossians chapter 2 to say if our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts, then where are our thoughts taking us? And so Paul, in chapter 2, verse 8, he says this. So don't let anyone capture you. Here's what he means by that. Don't let anyone take your thoughts captive. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. He actually started this whole idea in in verse four. If you look back at verse four, I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. And I hear in verse eight, he's like, now let's go into detail here. Let's discuss what that means. That word well-crafted basically means plausible. You could think about it in terms of logic. And for me, when I hear an idea, when I hear a thought, I wanna engage my brain, I wanna engage my logic. A question I'm asking is, is it plausible? But here's what Paul wants us to know, that Jesus is our thought filter. Not plausibility, not logic, but ultimately, Jesus is our thought filter. That's the big idea today. That's why he says in verse eight, he ends it by saying, rather than from Christ. To help us understand this, I brought a French press. Sadly, it's empty. Yes, I'm upset too. But this is a really nice French press um, because William Vest purchased this and generously donated it. And I know it's nice because it has a double filter. If you're unfamiliar with coffee, then I'm going to pray for you. Um, And filters are really important in coffee because we just want the heavenly God-sent nectar. We don't want the grinds. We want a clear separation between all the coffee grounds and the goodness that's fueling our souls, um, at least for me. So a lot of French presses, like the one at my house, just has one filter. This one actually has a double filter. That's how we know it's nice. So here's how this relates to our thought life. If we think about this initial bottom filter, all of us have one of these, and it's going to be based on how we're wired. Because when we are trying to decide about a thought, about something culture's telling us, about a philosophy, we have a way based on our wiring that we're going to start to think through that. For those of you who are analytical, you're going to start going through logic and run that out, etc. For me, I love to read. I'm going to read books. I'm going to listen to podcasts. I'm going to have conversations with people I respect, hopefully some people that see it differently so that way it can sharpen me. This is that first filter based on how we are wired. But what Paul is saying is Jesus is our thought filter. In other words, this is fine. This is good, but Jesus has to be the ultimate authority on what thoughts we entertain. 
Jesus has to be the ultimate authority on what philosophies we align with because sure, we're gonna do what we're naturally wired to do, but then we're gonna submit everything we naturally do, plausibility, logic, education, submit all of that to Jesus and run our thoughts by Jesus. He is our thought filter. The problem is a lot of times we switch it and we go to Jesus and then we're like, but I'm gonna let like, this other thing, this book, this influencer, this person, I'm gonna let it have the final say. No, no, Jesus has the final say. He is our thought filter. Because what, what Paul's not saying is he's saying, don't be educated, don't use logic. He is not saying that. Paul has what we would consider a doctrine. Paul, if you read through Acts, he can hold his own with the best philosophers of his day. He's a great orator. Some of the things he writes were like, what do you even mean, Paul? Because he's brilliant. He's not saying don't leverage these God-given talents. He says submit these God-given talents to Jesus because Jesus has the final say. Why does he have the final say? Why is he our thought filter? Because in verse nine, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. That Jesus is unrivaled. He is the head of every ruler and authority. And Jesus and only Jesus can complete us. So that's why he's the thought filter. He's the final stop for what we're going to let run around in our minds. And so Paul's super clear, run everything by Jesus. Now, what does this look like if you are a Roots student? Because we have our Roots students in here, uh, ages five through fifth grade. Can we? Yeah, we love them, don't we? So if you're a Roots student, Miss Mariah, who is our interim Sprouts and Roots director, and she is awesome. She has one of these. It's uh, bingo. You get to play bingo. Some of your adults are like, uh, I'm going to play bingo next week. Um, and I just want to show you this. We're, we're going to have what's called a family moment because I want you guys to understand, you kids that are in here, that there's something here for you in the scripture. And if this is still over your head, help me. Parents tell me I taught high school, so this is like a challenge. Um, I'm trying to get there. But here's the family's moment. If you're a Roots age kid, that you get to know Jesus like you know your dad, Mom, grandmom, or granddad. If we're thinking about thinking like Jesus, we have to get to know Jesus. And, and kids, here's what I know about you. You're brilliant. You're way smarter than you let on. And you know when your mom walks in and has had a bad day. You know when your dad's had a good day. And you also know how to push your dad's buttons. Please don't do that on Father's Day. Give him a break. Wait till tomorrow. But you know how to push buttons because here's what happens. Whether you realize it or not, you've paid a lot of attention to your parents and you understand what they're thinking, you're actually beginning to think like them. So just the way you've gotten to know them, or maybe you don't live with your parents, maybe you live with a step-parent, maybe you live with a grandparent, a grandmom, whoever you live with, you've gotten to know them, and you know what kind of mood they're in. We wanna get to know Jesus like that. We wanna pay attention to Jesus just like you pay attention to whoever you live with. So a, a simple action is that if you read, get a Bible you understand, and parents will buy one for you. Just let us know if you don't have one. Get a Bible you understand and read about Jesus. Ask questions about Jesus. The books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus's life. And if you don't read, beg your parent, your grandma, whoever you live with, please read to me about Jesus. Because we want to get to know Jesus. Because if we don't get to know him, then he can't be our thought filter. So let's keep going because Paul, in verses 11 through 12, we already read that. In verses 13 through 15, he's just laying out the gospel to actually keep us centered on Jesus in the middle of this. And then he goes down to verse 16. And he says, so don't let anyone condemn you 
for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Verse 18 begins the same way by saying, don't let anyone condemn you. In another letter Paul wrote, Romans 8.1, he says, so now there is therefore no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So as we are evaluating a thought handed to us, here's a question we can ask. Does this thought condemn me? Because if it condemns me, it's not from Jesus. Why? Because if you take some time, and please read this this week, read Colossians 2, 13 through 15. In verse 14, it says that all our past mistakes, everything we've ever done and will do that we deserve a penalty of death for has been nailed to the cross with Jesus. So the accuser, the devil, our very real enemy, he has no power against us because Jesus dealt with it all. It died on the cross with Jesus. So if somebody is telling you something and it leads us to get stuck in a place of condemnation, that is not from Jesus. Conviction is from Jesus. Here's what conviction is. It's the realization that I've been going against the ways of God. That's called sin. Conviction means I've been doing my own thing. I've been running counter to God. Maybe I liked it. Maybe I feel trapped. And so I'm going to repent. Conviction leads to repentance, which means turn around and now start going in the Jesus way because of the power of Jesus within me. So conviction leads to repentance. Condemnation paralyzes us. It gets us stuck. Now, to be honest, sometimes as a church, we make that turn too quick. Like, repent, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, everything's fine. And we don't take time to do a step in repentance, which is lamenting. Sometimes we have to sit in the pain that we've caused. Sit in the pain of our sin, and we can't rush that. But that's a part of the process, not the end of the process. We don't rush it, but we do keep moving through it as the spirit we ask to be poured out on us and to speak to us and fill us as the spirit leads us so that we can then Walk in the freedom and in the way of Jesus. So that's why Paul says in verse 16, don't, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come and Christ himself is that reality. He says, don't get stuck on the shadow when the substance is here. Don't just look at the shadow when the real thing is here and his name is is Jesus. Then he says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. I got stuck on verse 19 in my soap journey this week. On, uh, on the 18th, I was stuck. Verse 19 was my scripture. And I actually love the way the NIV has it. I wrote it in my journal. They have lost their connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. As I processed these verses, what I realized is before I could think about anyone else, I had to think about myself. And here's what Paul's saying. As we're evaluating thoughts, we have to look, is this person filled with pride and arrogance? Because if they are, then they've assumed the head and Jesus isn't their head. So what that means is that someone is me. 
that I've got to look in the mirror, and that was part of this, is saying, man, show me, Jesus, where I am prideful. Show me where I'm arrogant. Show me where I'm trying to be the head, where I'm trying to be the leader, and I'm not acknowledging that you're the leader, that you're unrivaled. So it starts with me and letting the Holy Spirit show me how I need to repent, and then it means when we're listening to other people that if we sense pride, that means a disconnection from Jesus. That when we see arrogance, that means we, in our lives, we're disconnected from Jesus and we have to be aware of that because Jesus is our leader. Do you see the real implications for our everyday life? And he goes on to say this. He says, you have died with Christ, verse 20, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things they deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. It helps us to know a little bit about what's going on in this culture. They didn't have the full written word of God yet like we did. But the stories of Jesus were circulating, were being written down. These letters that Paul and others wrote were being circulated and written down. And so in the absence of the full like word of God that was put together in the 300s, what some people would do is they would stand up and say, I've seen a vision from God. So, so if you want to get to God, don't worry about those stories of Jesus. You know, just look to me, come to me, come to me. You're the pride. So Paul's saying, if somebody's trying to be the head, watch out, because Jesus is. And then other people would say, hey, don't worry about the stories of Jesus and who he is. Man, just be self-disciplined. Just follow these rules, and that's how you can connect to God. And come on, let's be honest. It feels religious, doesn't it? I've been in that legalism. I can still drift towards that legalism. And it feels good. It feels religious. It feels like I'm better than you when I'm doing these things that you're not doing. But, Paul says in verse 23, all the self-discipline that we can muster in our own strength, it can't break the grip of sin in our lives. Only Jesus' death on the cross can do that. And that's why he says in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ. See, see the answer isn't to become more self-disciplined. The answer is to die and be resurrected with Christ. The only starting point for following Jesus. It's not to muster up our strength and work harder. No, it's simply to, to die to ourselves, to surrender, to doing things our way, and to say, Jesus, you be the leader of my life, and to let the spirit of the living God resurrect us from the dead. And so that's why he says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven. Maybe if you're like me, when I first read this, I envision just walking around and being like, totally out of touch with everybody and being like, I'm just thinking about heaven. No, I don't have time to deal with these messy people and sinners and all the stuff they're going through because I'm just focused on heaven, hallelujah. I'm just focusing on him. That's, that's not what Paul's saying. Why does Paul direct our eyes upward? Because he's pointing our eyes to Jesus. That's the whole theme of Colossians. It's this idiom, this saying that says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Here's what that means. It means Jesus is unrivaled. 
He's unrivaled in all the universe. So instead of just getting consumed with what's going on in our everyday lives, lift our eyes up to Jesus to see things from Jesus's perspective. And you know what that requires? Self-discipline. Whoa, 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 whoa. We just said self-discipline isn't the point. No, no, here's the thing. It's not self-discipline from our own grit. It's self-discipline that flows from resurrection power. Because self-discipline can't connect us to Christ. But once we are connected, we've died. When we've been resurrected, we will live differently. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Not my Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so, do you see how this begins to form? And so Paul says, he agrees, that our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So let's make sure our thoughts are centered on Jesus. And then he says this beautiful thing in verses three and four. He says this, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden, hidden with Christ in God. (laughs) And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, man, we are secure in Christ. Sometimes we are even concealed in Christ. As we make Jesus our thought filter, there will be times when people won't understand what we're doing. They won't understand how we're thinking. That's okay. They didn't understand Jesus either. But when Jesus returns to restore all things, everyone will see him clearly, and we will also be seen clearly as we get to participate in his restoration of all things, as we get to share in his glory, because everything we are is hidden. It's consumed by Christ. So the more that we follow Jesus, the less it's about our interests, because our interests just don't matter. It's Jesus' interests that matter. We're consumed by him. See, the whole idea of Jesus' follower means that we follow Jesus. We make him our pattern. We imitate Jesus. But here's what Paul wants us to understand at this point in the letter. To act like Jesus, we must think like Jesus. That we're not going to respond like Jesus responded unless we begin to think like Jesus. Romans 12, 2. That we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Philippians 2, 5. That we have this mindset, this attitude. What mindset? What attitude? The mindset of Jesus. That yes, we have this initial filter in our lives, but that Jesus is our thought filter. So how do we do that? I know for me, I've been really wrestling with and considering taking just one day a week and taking a break from my regular Bible reading plan, even taking a break from Colossians and just reading through one of the four accounts of Jesus' life. And that Thursday's just been stuck in my head, so maybe this fits, maybe it's something I do for a season, but just saying, hey, every Thursday, I'm just gonna read through Matthew until I finish it, and then read through Mark until I finish it, and then Luke, and then John, because I can't act like Jesus unless I think like Jesus, and I can't think like Jesus, I'm just trying to go, well, what did Jesus do here? I have to actually be immersed in the life and ways of Jesus. If you're in high school, here's an incredible application for you, especially if you're a freshman. You got four years of high school. There's four accounts of Jesus's life. Read one per year. How awesome would that be? You can go in any order you want. If you're in middle school, it's even easier. Pick your favorite three <laughs> and just read three in middle school. And then you can read all four in high school. There's so many ways that we can make sure we think like Jesus And here's one of the reasons this matters so much, because when Jesus walked into scenes, he saw things that no one else saw. And I don't know about you, but I want to see like Jesus sees. In fact, there's this incredible scene in Matthew chapter 14. (laughs) 
And the disciples, here's what they see. They see a PR nightmare. Jesus has been teaching all day. They're out in the wilderness. People are hungry. And the disciples, his followers are thinking, Jesus, we have all this momentum. These crowds are here. And we're about to blow it by leaving a bunch of hungry people straight into the wilderness. So Jesus, before this becomes a PR nightmare, let's dismiss them to go feed themselves because Chick-fil-A is closed. It must have been a Sunday. In fact, they said in verse 15, that evening the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But notice the words of Jesus. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. What? Uh, that isn't necessary. You feed them. What you got? See, they saw problem after problem after problem after problem, and Jesus saw a moment where their trust in him could grow. Jesus saw a moment where they could be a part of doing something that they would never forget as they played a role in then feeding over 5,000 people that day. I wanna see things like that. I want us as a church to walk into work tomorrow, to walk into work on Tuesday. And when everybody sees one thing, we see something different because Jesus is our thought filter and we're beginning to think like Jesus and we can see the situation from his perspective. That will lead us to then act like Jesus. And that's the invitation that Paul puts before us. So these guys are gonna lead us in a song that is about Jesus. So I hope that in the rest of this gathering, that it would begin to happen. We would begin to focus, to center our thoughts on Jesus, to begin to think like Jesus. And then that we would walk out of here. And we'd really wrestle with, what does it look like for me to make Jesus my thought filter? And if you need prayer for anything, our prayer team is going to be in the lobby and would love to pray with you. So Jesus, we need to think like you. I pray that you would show us practically what that looks like as we leave this space, but also pray that you would just speak clearly to us through this song and just let us into your mindset a little bit more as we sing about you. Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to connect with you on any of our social medias at a public church or through our app or website, publicchurch.com. To give towards the vision of public church, you can do so through our app or website via pushpay or by texting public church in all caps and no space to 77977. Again, thanks for listening 